With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This person on the show. Blog Talk Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Abundant Solutions Hour. Our goal is to help others be more, do more, and have more. I'm your host, Gregory Turner. And I'm your co-host, Brian J. Henderson. Brian, I tell you what, we're going to have fun tonight. I can see that already from the way things are starting out. How how was your week this week? It's all right, though. I mean, God is good. We're here. We're ready. (laughs) We're going to definitely have a great show tonight. Um, Our special guest that we're going to have on in just a few minutes is is a person we've been wanting to have on the show for quite a while now, and we, we managed to get him in here. You know what, Brian? When I heard him speak at the community event that we had back some months ago he was so thorough i mean he he spoke with passion and he had everybody's attention he was holding everybody's attention i mean right right up to the time that he sat down and the things that he spoke about were so very powerful and they were so important and tonight the things that we're going to talk about tonight is something that a lot of people won't talk about it's something that the church will not talk about you know so we need to get this information out there, and I'm so so happy, man. I, I I went crazy when I when he told me that he would do the show. He didn't he didn't know that I was excited, but man, I was so excited because he's gonna give out so much information tonight. He's gonna let you know just how important it is to know what you need to know about yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, Greg, I, I again when you told me you you called me and you said we got him. <laughs> I was like, yeah, it's going to be great, it's going to be great, it's going to be great, you know, definitely a blessing, uh, and the words that you're going to hear from this brother, you know, it's definitely, definitely going to be a blessing. It's going to be a healing for somebody's soul. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. Tonight's show is entitled, You Need to Know, and our special guest is Dr. Emmanuel Inwang, and Dr. Emmanuel Inwang is the HIV AIDS pharmacist, and he's also over the AIDS Drug Assistance Program for the Leon County Health Department, and he also is a clinical consultant, and he deals with, you know, assisting um, HIV patients with their medications. And so, you know, tonight we're going to talk about HIV and AIDS and its effect on, you know, on the African-American community in general, but also the effect on our society as a whole. Yes, yes. One thing, Brian, we need to talk about, too, uh, uh, is the One Love, the National Black College Tour. Yes, yes, yes. You know, that's something that we really need to get that out there to the parents, the teachers, the counselors, and the youth pastors. You know, this thing is so serious, and they're, they're going to visit 40 different universities. 40, not four, 40 you know, and, and if this is something, you know, parents that, that are listening, if this is something that you want to get involved with, I suggest that you do. Please contact them or go online to nationalblackcollegetour.com. 
Again, that's nationalblackcollegetour.com. And one date that you need to keep in mind is the November, that November 16th is the initial tour deposit for that. So that 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 is due that date. So it's, it's not the Inwang on. Yes, I'm here. Dr. Inwang, I know you know about this Black College Tour. <laughs> well, yeah. Anything you want to add to that? Well, definitely, um, you know, what I'm happy about is that, uh, you know, the HBCUs, you know, have been um, the forefront in everything from educational institutions when, you know, we weren't allowed to go anywhere else to, you know, being highly affiliated with churches and that being just one of the mainstreams of our culture here in this country. So, I was really excited about that. We were even planning our own as far as just more of the awareness, just speaking and things of that nature. So I was really happy when I heard it. I was really glad that, I mean, I, you know, it's good to know that other people are on the same page, you know, when you have no clue about it and then you find out, you're like, man, this is perfect, you know. Yes, yes. yes. That's what I said when I saw the information. I said, you know what, I have to get this information out there because a lot of people just don't know. They don't know about this tour, and, you know, they're taking people all over the U.S., 40 different universities they're going to. And they didn't have this when I was coming out of school. Brian, did they have this at your school? Was this was this something that you <laughs> you had a chance to do? No, sir. No, sir. So this is this is an awesome thing. This is this is definitely something that we need to 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 pound on the streets, send this email out to everybody that we can, and just just get it going. But Dr. Inwing, I spoke with you on yesterday, mm-hmm. and you were busy. You were out of town, and you you told me, "Well, Greg, just call me back. We'll talk, and we'll we'll set this up to do the show." Mm-hmm. And you told me that you were at a conference. Yeah. Was there something at the conference that you learned that you didn't know? Being that you're a doctor and you do this type of work all the time, was there something that you wanted to share with us to uh, that you felt is just mind blowing? Um, definitely, what was really mind blowing we uh, we just don't know how uh, the, how big of an impact um, and how rapidly the disease is spreading amongst the African American community and how um, the easiest word to say is weak um, are I won't say weak, but the well, what I mean by that is meaning the amount of people involved. It's it's a lot of us that are strong, providing as much as we can, but the amount of people putting the effort when it comes to our own race, there was probably um, a handful of us, per se, in there um, as far as, you know, providing the services, you know, and it, it, but the majority, I, I explained to Mr. Henderson that, just one little county alone said, oh, we have uh, over 400 um, patients. And when they told the statistics, it was nearly almost 300 were black, you know, no Asians, no white, uh, black and Hispanic. And the majority were black. And this was just one county, not to mention the rest of them. So it was just mind-blowing continuously to hear that statistic. And it was just said, you know, and um, – and I was just standing there in awe, like, my God, you know, just to hear it, even though I've seen it so many times, to hear it out the words of the actual county case managers from each county for the whole state of Florida was just mind-blowing to hear that case number and how they're not even sure if that's the right amount. And I just I can go on with just that statistic alone. My God. Wow, wow. 
You know, um, when you talk about HIV and, you know, the relationship that it has with, with African Americans, what do you think, you know, is one of the main reasons our numbers are growing so rapidly? The main reason um, uh, I definitely would say has to do with history. That's why I'm so excited about this tour because it was a historical, historically black college university. And with our history, we have a tendency not to we pass on that health care fear um, that our, our forefathers, our grandparents, grandmothers have carried on, which is well warranted, but that's warranted for them the Tuskegee experiments and things like that. I've mentioned several times that even the clinician, uh, I believe it was, of course, it was a white doctor at that time during the Tuskegee experiment said that we have the cure, but we were studying to find out how much they would spread it and how how rapidly it would kill them, was his comment. Um, And that that constant um, butchering of, our people at that time has impacted us even till today. Forty years ago, segregation was around, you know, and um, so there's still a, a, a large residue that just seems to spread even to the younger generation, but the problem is the type of virus that is going around now is a consensual drug or especially a majority is sexual, sexually transmitted, and but our style on paying attention to our health care is probably the most poor out of all of the um, races in this country because we don't get ourselves checked for all of the different things, the diabetes, the blood pressure. We're getting a little better. We're getting church ministries involved, but this is an alarm that must be screamed out just the same way that they screamed out the during the time of the race riots, during the time of the um, fighting for vote equal rights, you know, the civil rights movement, it, it must be the same type of fight because the people are dying. And um, on top of that, when I explain to people, our people in particular, I, I say to them all the time, do you not see the coincidence? People in Africa, which is our original land, people in the island, even people in the South America areas that are um, of our descent all have this disease. And you know the other races have taken a charge and has de- and have decreased the epidemic in their area, but for us it's still increasing. Wow! Right, right. You know what, Doctor Henry, you said something at the community event that stuck with me. You said that the youth, some of the youth that come into your office or come in there to get the drugs, they're going to come one way or another. They're going to come. They may come a little healthy, mm-hmm. or they may come sick. Oh, yeah. They they will come, and that's what is so painful about it. Our people, nine times out of ten, come when they've nearly died, and that's the problem. They usually, especially the younger ones, and we do have, we have a problem with the black males, um, the ones that are undercover homosexuals, um, and we have a problem with the majority with the younger generation where they're in such denial that they usually come out of the emergency room and you can see little scars on their face and on their arms from having what's called shingles and outbreaks and things of that nature where it looks like chicken pox all over their body and their skin literally has peeled off. That's when they come. 
when they're, they really know something's wrong, even though they may have heard that this person had HIV or they're in denial of being a homosexual and spreading it to their girlfriend or their partner or whatever the case may be, they come. Um, and that's when they usually come, when they know, my God, I've almost died um, or I killed someone or, you know, just something very extreme, which is not, um, which shows that, that just shows how the lack of education in our community has grown because the symptoms are horrible. You should feel something. You will get white plaques in your mouth. You will start throwing up. You will have all these things continuously happen to you before it gets to that point where you need to be in the emergency room. And they still will um, continue that way until they know that they're going to die. Right, right. Uh, if you're just listening in, you're listening to the Abundant Solutions Hour. Uh, call-in number is 718-508-9600. If you have a call, uh, general question or comment, the call-in number is 718-508-9600. And we're on with Dr. Emmanuel Nwang, who is the HIV-AIDS pharmacist and the AIDS Drug Assistance Program Director for Leon County Health Department. Uh, Dr. Nwang, you know, I'm reading some of the general statistics on uh, African Americans and HIV, mm-hmm. and it says African Americans currently represent more than half of all AIDS, HIV-AIDS cases. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. and when you think about the total number, and we're just talking about African Americans, we're just talking about, you know, not over in Africa and any other, other nations, we're just talking about in America, where we only represent roughly 30 million, mm-hmm. to have, you know, roughly half, more than half of all HIV/AIDS cases, and we're, you know, less than 20 percent of the population. Mm-hmm. You know, that's just a staggering number. It it it's scary because, um, you know, I am a little political at the same time because. This thing just came out of nowhere, you know, and the explanations on a clinical basis don't make sense to me, but we're at the point where we can't even waste time pointing the finger because we're dying. Right. How bad that it's gotten. So we it's almost like you have to pick up the pieces and then find out who pushed the vase over to break later, but you've got to clean it up now. That's, that's where we are. It's, that, it's just horrible. I mean, I, I can't even explain it how horrible it is in our community. It can wipe out our race. That's what people don't understand. It can wipe our race out. And, you know, Dr. Inway, you sound so passionate about this. At times I know that you're dealing with this on a day-to-day basis. You're getting these numbers. You're getting the stats. You're mm-hmm. seeing young people come in all the time, mm-hmm. very young, the young girls and the young boys and the the down-low brothers that are infecting the, the women out there, they're lying to them. At some point, does this become a burden for you? Does it feel like you just go home with all the weight from the world on your shoulders because you know the situation and the people just are, are not taking it serious? How do you how do you handle this? How are you able to separate you from what's going on? To be honest with you, it's nothing but the almighty God because um, – you will, when, if you, let, let's just say you are fly on the wall in the clinic when I'm speaking with the patient when we're getting the medication. These people look like your mother, your brother, your sister, your cousin. Um, you, as a man or even as a woman, you will be attracted to that person. 
because of just the fact that that's who you're attracted to, not even knowing that this person has this virus, so it haunts you in so many different ways of knowing that you can have a regular conversation with someone who may not even know that they have the virus, things of that nature. I've had, to be honest with you, three breakdowns um, where I didn't, I wouldn't ever quit, but, I mean, I literally was in tears because of the impact, because you're promising you're going to remind this person to do this, uh, make sure you do that, please come back tomorrow, we need to go speak to your um, surgeon on this, we need to find out if you're pregnant, who raped you. I mean, it gets so overwhelming that the way that I've been able to cope with it, to be honest with you, is just constantly using this as a tool, constantly going out and spreading the message and promising myself that I will do everything that I know I can as an individual and whoever is willing to to follow with me or join in the fight, just come on and let's go and do it because those people, especially the ones that hurt the most, are the ones that are innocent. Um, I We have patients that have been raped when they were little girls. We have patients that were raped in jail. We have patients that were married to deacons, pastors that were either down low or they didn't know. And these are elderly people that are in their 50s that didn't know. And even at that time, the worst thing that they had, you can get a cure for it. They didn't know. And then they give it to another woman or they'll give it to a woman and get that woman pregnant. So now the child has the chance on having it. A new life coming into this world of our race has the burden of taking medication. Those are the type of things that will impact and I don't even say haunt now. I take it on as a challenge, but at that time, it was a burden that I did not know was going to be this heavy. And um, it, it really affected me uh, originally, but now I take it on um, with God on my side because there's no other way I would be able to do it. Hmm. All right, right. You know, Dr. Wayne. Um, speaking of God and, you know, in a, in, you know just talking about in general about the effect that it's had in the church, mm-hmm. you know, have you found, like, opposition when you go into, you know, like, certain places like churches or church functions, or have you been invited to those places to to speak and to talk to people about HIV and AIDS and prevention? Um, coincidentally, I have. Um, I've spoken, I would probably say, which is sad, probably five churches, um, and I've commended them for allowing me to speak, but um, the sad thing about it is that in some of the churches it's orchestrated, meaning that they limit what you're, you have the ability to speak about or you're limited to what you can say. Not saying that they tell me not to say anything, but the, it's very um, tippy-toed around. It's not right smack in your face like it needs to be. And um, I will always say the same thing to them. Uh, this church that you're in um, has has been open. I've been to a lot of old southern churches where I know for a fact that they were involved in civil rights movement. And I say to them that it's sad to know that you have molded the way that this country has changed from what you did in the past, but now something that is causing genocide to our race is not being pushed upon or not being uh, put at a forefront because of the fact that you have these principles which which don't make sense in a, because sex is in the Bible. It's, it's, it's very blatant and it's well known in the Bible that that was something that was going on. 
and it, it, it's mind-boggling to know that the churches don't, I mean, they have the power, but they have the power to help make a change, but I don't know what the problem is, um, and I just don't know what else I can do in a sense. We've done, I've done things, I'm pretty sure you know Miss Sheila Morris, we've done things in many different ways to try to spread the message, but some of them don't want to talk about it, or they will do a health fair, and they put a little booth in the corner for you, and you get to pass out pamphlets. And I'm like, my God, I promise you, if we do a test right now in your congregation, out of 100 people, I'm promising you at least 15 have it. That's how serious this thing is. One of the counties just recently, um, where I went to one of their church conventions, they are now considered, just like how Quincy has an unfortunate reputation of having a lot of HIV cases, they're, they're no different. And that happened, um, I believe it was Greenville, that really small town. Mm-hmm. I mean, it spread like a wildfire. And the town is very small. So it's like people just don't know, and the churches take it very lightly, and I don't think that they understand. It's almost as if when people start dying is when they're going to try to clean it up and it's going to be too late. Right, right. That's that's so sad. I have a MySpace question from a mother. Her name is Helen. She mm-hmm. wants to know what's the mindset of your patients when they come in and talk with you and you tell them that they have to take this medicine for the rest of their life. Um, to be honest with you, uh, a lot of them, their mindset um, is, is there's three different types. Some of them take it on as a man or a woman and accept the situation um, and a lot of them are depressed. They may be actually on antidepressant medication. Some of them that are very, I guess you can say, um, they allow God to be their strength. They take it on as a challenge. Um, they have support with their family, and then they do really well. They have a very positive attitude. But then there's the really angry and re- the, the one that's um, in a lot of denial, or they have an attitude like they don't care, or they pretend with me that they are going to do what they need to do, and they play games with the system, meaning that they will come to do the consultations. They will come for me to check on their kidney function. They'll check on their liver status, their heart rates, and all of those things just to stay in the program, or they'll do the bare minimum, keep themselves looking halfway decent. You know, we can give them these certain supplements where they get their weight right back, their skin clears up, and they continue as if they've never had the disease, and that's the scary patient. We have, uh, Dr. N. Wang, we have another email question, and this is from Anita. And Anita's question is, have any of your patients killed themselves? Um, We've had a uh, a few patients make the attempt to kill themselves. I don't think they've had the courage to actually go ahead and do the actual initiation of killing themselves, Um, but we've had a few just let themselves go, which is probably the worst thing in the world for them to do because the death is very slow. You know, they go blind, um, their throat starts closing up, their skin starts peeling beyond recognition, um, the virus starts actually causing um, nerve tingling sensations where it feels like an itch, but you can't actually itch your skin because it's on your nerve. Um, it's a a very wicked type of way to kill themselves, and um, that's what some of them have made the attempt to do. But fortunately, those three patients that I'm speaking of, they've had support. When you have support and the people are not ignorant to the virus, 
it's so much better for that patient because then they're they 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 have a different spin on life. They just know that their attitude needs to change, their way of life, their safety practices have to change, and they do pretty well. And actually, all three of them are doing extremely well. Um, one is about to graduate from college. The other one is getting married. Um, you know, there's a lot of things that happen. The technology has changed, and that's what I try to explain to the patient. Um, the technology has changed. I personally believe there's a cure, but right now the technology has changed where you can live with this virus no different than having diabetes or any other type of disease. Live. Wow. Right, right. You know, I have another question. I'm, I'm bombarded with MySpace questions and emails. I think this topic, like we said earlier, Brian and I, we, we, we talked, and uh, I think we told you that when we talk about something as serious as this, uh, you won't have the phone calls. Uh, a lot of people are just intimidated yeah. with talking about this. It's something that is, is so serious, but yet and still it's something that we all need to know. Mm-hmm. Uh, the question from Tom, he's a parent, he wants to know, do you speak in schools? If so, what's your message? Um, what I do, uh, yes, I've spoken in schools before, but the biggest problem is the ethics with a lot of the parents, um, they don't want you to talk about sex when they're, unfortunately, children are doing it. Um, I have spoken in schools, and I've, my, I'm always open to do that. Um, to be honest with you, I scare them. I have to because the, the children, especially, I would say, the younger women, they have contracted the disease usually through older men that have money. They're able to dress them up and do things like that. So I warn the the girls especially that a lot of these men are angry. They're they're our worst patients because they don't want to go get checked for everything, for our cancer problems to heart problems and everything. They'll give these girls money, and then they will give them the disease. We have a patient right now that just turned 18, is pregnant, and her boyfriend was 45 years old. Wow. I mean, just explicit. She told me she even heard people tell her that he has it, and she said, but he told me he loves me, and I felt, she said, I felt these scales on his back. I thought he got into a fight or something, and that's what he told me. And he, we, we had unprotected sex, and then about a few months later, I started catching colds. My tongue became white, full of plaque, which is a fungus, and then that's how she knew she had the virus. My God. So, yeah, I speak, I, I'm more than willing, but um, it's only been one school so far. Wow. You know, uh, Dr. M. Wang, I'm reading here some more statistics. Mm-hmm. And um, it says in 2005, African-American women in the United States were diagnosed with HIV-AIDS at a rate 21 times that of white women. Yes. And it says, now it is the leading cause of death for African-American women ages 25 to 34. Mm-hmm. You know, the thing that, that really gets me, and you know, because I go out and I actually talk to groups about HIV-AIDS prevention. I talk to youth about abstinence education. You know, and the information is out there. Most people yeah. know about it. And yet, you know, why do we have this thing where we still make these Poor choices. I, I, it's really for us and our people. It's education. 
And when I mean education, I don't mean like, oh, you need to read, you need to... They need to know the common basics. Like, for example, um, very rarely will I have an actual African-American patient, um, except for a few of them, have the interest in comparison to some of the white patients that I have. They, and, and, it's, and it has nothing to do with the education background. It has to do with the culture of what happened to us in the past. This is something that I definitely can tell from, especially in the South. They have a very upbeat attitude about going to the clinics because it's a way of life for them. You know, they never had the fear of being manipulated and poisoned and all of these different things. So their attitude is very different when it, they come into the arena of coming to get care. So anything they feel funny about, they come into the clinic with no problem, no, no fear, no hesitation, while on our end, from what grandpa told us to what happened to my grandma, when you know, that type of history is with us. So when we come in, um, on top of the way that our culture is, we're just not very active. And we, don't have the, we don't have that, that culture that health culture, in a sense, where we say, okay, I need to go and get a checkup. I need to go and do this. Then on top of it, because of the economic disparities that um, have never been corrected, their attitude is, well, I'll just deal with it because I don't have any money anyway. So that plays a role in our culture and in our society where we just don't get checked anyway. So if we have a stomach pain, which can be pancreatitis, which is a symptom uh, some of the symptoms that um, come with HIV, we won't pay attention to it. We'll just try and deal with it until it just becomes unbearable, and that's what happens. You know what, Dr. Anway? If Let's just say that you had the unlimited resources. I mean, you had the, the, the billions and trillions of dollars at mm-hmm. your, at your, I mean, right there at your fingertips. And they said, Dr. Anway, do what you can do. To, to help solve this problem, how would you solve it? What would you do? And, I mean, I want you to tell us from the bottom of your heart some things that you have been thinking about that you think that you would do to, and how you would handle this. How would well, you do it? What I would do, to be honest with you, it would, it, the approach would definitely be different because, for instance, when we, we offer so many things, we offer people to come and get tested and things of that nature. Our culture is just different. We've done block parties and had more success doing block parties for our people, and then they go to the booth and get checked. Their atmosphere is a lot more comfortable to them. It's just our culture is different than the typical way that it's done for the whites. What I would do, um, whites and actually other races, for, for us, what I would do is it would start off with a revolution of the mind, and I always say that. I even said that at a gang summit. We have to have a revolution of our mind because what it is that we've just been bombarded with um, the way society depicts us, we've been bombarded with the way um, we actually depict ourselves where we hate each other. We have an attitude where we can see a white, a Hispanic, an Asian, and we just look at them. But when a black comes by, we're like, what are you looking at? We, if we don't know that person, you know, that's the attitude that we have. So it's more of a revolution of the mind culture in a sense, the reason why is because that then would make us have an attitude that it's not a big deal to go and get checked because then we would know in our culture that the quicker I get checked, the better chance I have on surviving whatever situation it is. I have a friend that text messaged me just two days ago 
asking me to pray for her grandfather about prostate cancer. And that, to me, these are things as a clinician that are avoidable. They're very, very avoidable if we use preventative methods. And what I'm actually instituting is preventative therapy. That's one of the new things that I'm starting with a program called the Wellness Center RX where we focus mainly on prevention and we will consistently push and push and push and push prevention, but our methods and our styles are going to be different. You know, and this is a perfect example of what we're doing now. People must hear what happens to us. It cannot come from them. It has to come from us because we, we don't even understand. Uh, the rapper Eazy-E, a popular NWA gangster rapper, died from AIDS died nearly tw- almost 20 years ago. I mean, and, and, and I don't think it even registered to us then that we were having this issue. So our culture and the way that we approach to get our people involved must change. The churches must be active because only God, to be honest with you, can change this. But if we have leaders that are leaders for, for our people, they must play a role in this. The churches have to play a role. The HBCUs have to play a role. Our senators, our governors, all of the different people that play a role in major positions for our people and our culture must play a role. That, that's the only way it's going to change. A lady that actually... Um, provided HIV services 30 years ago in the same health department that I'm working in, said when she started, she said it was 30 white males. And she said her first black case was a pregnant black lady. And when they, she said she boo-hoo cried because it was not something that happened to her people. So it was so odd for that to happen. And then the lady was pregnant. So they cried even more because there was no drugs. There was one drug out there. You know, there was only one drug at that time, and they didn't know if that drug would be able to cure or be able to prevent the transmission of the virus to the baby. And they all just cried because there was no technology or anything. Now, she was amazed when she was speaking to me. She says, it's amazing for you to give me this sentence, and out of 182 patients, 81% of them are of our persuasion, are of African American. She just couldn't believe it. And she said the difference was, the aggressiveness that those um, individuals used, along with their families and organizations, to get rid of this situation. The education, they pushed that, and they, their culture on how they live their life sexually or with drugs or with anything that they do socially changed. And that's what we have to do. If you're just joining us, you're listening to the Abundant Solutions Hour. And we have as our special guest Dr. Emmanuel N. Wang. He's the HIV-AIDS pharmacist for Leon County, and he's also in charge of the AIDS Drug Assistance Program, which is commonly known as ADAP. Um, Dr. N. Wang, yes. you talked about the, um, the folks that are incarcerated earlier. And, you know, one of my questions, I'm reading, I'm uh, back on these statistics here, and it talks about how it says, according to the U.S. Department of Justice, among male inmates, African Americans were twice as likely as whites to be HIV positive, and the oh. female infection was nearly half of that of female inmates. Mm-hmm. You know, and then even it goes on to say that we are also twice as likely as Hispanics, and two and a half more times likely than whites to die from AIDS-related causes. And these are among the incarcerated population. Do you have a lot of uh, clients that are incarcerated? Yes, we have a lot. As a matter of fact, um, one of my first few clients were two inmates, and um, that was my first 
experience of what you hear, but to actually speak to them. And what was happening was this actual client was deteriorating, and I didn't know why. And I said, you know, he's telling me he's taking his medication. Um, I could, I was able to tell that he wasn't that educated, but he was able to read and write and things of that nature. But you can tell that he was, um, he probably didn't finish high school and things of that nature, um, and was a, just a little bit slow, but he was able to comprehend. And he told me that he got out of prison. And coincidentally, what I explained to him when I did what's called a review of symptoms chart, we get to the point of asking personal questions because I need to know these things in order to make sure the drugs that you're going to take for the rest of your life are going to be correct. And what he ended up explaining to me is I said, are you having unprotected sex now? And does your partner um, or your, does, does your partner know? And I didn't know if he was a homosexual or not. We don't ask those questions. I said, does your partner or your boyfriend or girlfriend know um, that you have this virus? And he said, yes. Matter of fact, he said, can I go and get him? And then I said, wow, at him. So he came in, he sat down, and they talked. And this person in particular, you can tell he was a lot more dominating. He was a lot more educated than this individual here. And this male um, was actually a little younger than the older one that he brought in. And then I explained to him, I said, there's what's called HIV resistance mutation. And I said, what happens is when you give that wild-type virus, which means the first time that that virus enters a new person's body, it becomes very, very violent because it's, it's like it's, it's a, a playground. It's never been there before. So it gets to do any and everything that it wants and the way that it mutates and all of these things. So I'm explaining this to him, and I said, if you all are having unprotected sex, I said, I want you to understand what's happening. What, I said, are you taking medications right now? And he said, yes, I was taking them. I'm not taking them anymore. And I said, now he's taking medications. And I explained to him that both of you are taking totally different medications. I said, what you're doing is you're giving the information to the virus to know what it needs to do to fight both of the medications you're taking. And I said, unfortunately, since he was the receiver of the virus from you, the virus is a lot more violent to him because he's newly he's a newly diagnosed patient, so he was taking medications that weren't even working because his partner been there, done that with those medications. So that virus, when it got into his system, was like, oh, please, I've, I've dealt with these medications before. So that's why he was deteriorating. You know, we, we hear about the Download brothers and lying to the women. Do you have a lot of women that come in to see you to get medicine? Do, do you have them saying that that's how they... Uh, were infected? Um, unfortunately, yes, and um, I get a little emotional about that sometimes because I want uh, everyone that is listening to know that, especially the real men, and when I say real men, I mean men that will stand up. If you're a homosexual, if you're a heterosexual, you need to be a real man and let that woman know your status or be responsible enough to protect her because these are the mother's of our race. They're the, the life givers. And what is happening is we're infecting them and then they're the ones who are going to continue to have our children. And what has happened, a uh, personal experience is the woman was in there. She was incarcerated. She came out and she just was really agitated and crying. And then she stopped and she said, oh, I'm on depressive medications. I'm, on, I'm okay. Then I ended up asking her a simple question. I said, well, do you have anyone that will talk to you about this, uh, you know, with this situation and everything, and then she said, I just got out of jail, and I tried to kill that MF, and I was like, who are you talking about? And she said, this was my fiance. She said, 
just before we were about to um, get married, he, he ended up confessing to me after I found out that I had the virus. He ended up confessing to me that he was fooling around with someone. And, um, and pretty much, to make a long story short, he gave her the virus when she was, you know, doing what she needed to do. And, I, and, and, it, and it hurt to see that because she went to jail behind being violent to him, which personally to me I felt was warranted. And, um, you know, I'm not advocating for violence or anything, but you can understand this is considered a felony now, you know. And she tried, she was upset about it. I don't know what exactly happened, but she got out of jail after getting violent with him. And her whole life, imagine, she was planning to spend the rest of her life with this man and look at what he did to her. So it, it's painful, and that's why I said that I've had breakdowns because what can you do? What are you supposed to say? Um, for a situation like that. So the best that I, best thing that I do is I just cope with them and I try to be there more than just a clinician. I try to speak to them on what the, the positive things, where they can go from here. And fortunately for her, she ended, up, um, she ended up getting married, not to that person in particular, but she met someone who's not HIV positive. And we have a lot of them that have an upbeat spirit, and she pretty much... I, I made sure that I was available to her so that she can get through the situation because it was fairly new. There's another patient that found out he had the virus, and I commended him because he thought he had it. He admitted to his wife that he was a homosexual um, or he was a homosexual and found out that he had the virus. And, and fortunately, she has not contracted it, and they've been careful ever since. And this is an older couple in their 50s. So this just shows how, and this is African-Americans, of course, again. So it's just so many experiences that I can explain in, in detail of what has happened. And and that's its responsibility as the men. You know, we as the men, I always say over and over, have failed our women and our children in so many different ways that it, 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 it's a shame. And this is a way that we can, as the men, if you are a homosexual, be a man, and just be real with yourself. Don't be in denial about what you are and what you do. If you go both ways, no, I mean, look at the way the world is going now. That doesn't even matter anymore. What matters is you being honest to that person that you can infect, and that's what's happening. You know, you know, you know what, Dr. Inway? I can hear the passion in your voice. <laughs> and you know what? It's just amazing uh, what you do the things that you have to go through and the things that you have to listen and try to counsel somebody through, you know, do you think, I I, I already know the, the answer, but I, I want you to tell the people out there that God has an assignment on all of our lives. And do you think God chose you just for this particular uh, thing that you're doing. Do you think this is the thing that God placed you and created you to do? Um, to be honest with you, I was in denial of it. That's, I believe, the reason why I had a lot of breakdowns. But what kind of put it in perspective was when I actually went over to Africa um, visiting. Then when I came back, I just saw the difference in the opportunity and the things just, certain things just kept falling into my lap. Um, and I ended up realizing that I knew something that can be done, and it was like uh, like someone was just poking me with a needle, which I knew was God poking me with a needle, saying that you have the ideas, you have the ability, just just 
continue to do what you're doing. And that was where um, I realized that this thing is bigger than me, but this thing is um, something that can be done. Um, uh, I think there was a song that someone said, was, and that's how I see our people, what God has blessed no man can curse. God has, we are a peculiar people. We are the beginning race of this planet. Without us, there is no other people. Um, we were the beginning as far as even genetically speaking. Um, so we are a blessed race as far as just the beginning of time is concerned. So it, it, it's mind-boggling to me that we don't know who we are and we take ourselves so lightly to the point where we're allowing ourselves to die to this, at this rapid rate. So I ended up through learning about history, through having just different cultural experiences, I ended up realizing that this was a calling. And the reason why I realized that it was a calling is because I do feel in my heart that one day all of us that play a role in this um, this arena will speak one day and say, man, you know, this thing almost took our people out. Because look at what we've been through. I, I spoke about this the syphilis, uh, the Tuskegee Airmen experiences, the the um, the the slavery, the um, segregation, the rioting, the lynching, all of the different things that we've been through. This should not be an issue that we should let make us lose. We can defeat this, and we can make this to become something of the past, just like everything else has become something of the past. For God's sake, we have another African American running for president. What else are we supposed to do since the days of Civil War? We've helped to build this country. We've done so many marvelous and magnificent things. Why are we allowing something that the medications, for God's sake, are, are given for free? <laughs> you know, um, if you take the medications correctly, you can actually decrease the chances on spreading it to someone else because you've decreased your viral load to such a low level that even if you did have unprotected sex, I'm not saying that you won't catch the disease, but the likelihood is a lot less than just allowing yourself to be so full of the virus that when you spit, you cough, you sneeze, you know, things of that nature, you bleed, the virus is all over the place. That's the difference. Um, our attitude must change about it. So I, do, I truly do believe that um, God gives me vision, and I never can say that it's me. I know that it's God because I promise you, I, my last, um, when I was graduating, my last residency rotation ended up being an infectious disease and it was with unfortunately it was in my I mean fortunately it was in Miami and it was in the pediatrics department what what made me know that I have to play a role in this was out of the hundreds of children that were in there I promise you I don't think I saw one white child every single one was black and they were all born with HIV and it just was mind-boggling and I was only on one floor in this institution, the state hospital, which is one of the biggest hospitals in the country, and all of those children were African-American and different Caribbean and African children, just our people in general. So it was so sad to see that all these children were born with this disease and they had no choice, no choice. And some of them will die and some of them have had, while I was there, they died from different complications because their body was is supposed to start building an immune system, but that virus was already destroying it. Yes. Dr. Emling, you know, I was, uh, I'm sitting here and I'm reading more statistics, and, you know, the more I read them, it, it just becomes more apparent that, you know, this thing is, you know, 
it's not taking any. I mean, it's, it's no. It's not taking any prisoners. Oh my God! You know, it says um, in 2005, an estimated 19,000 young people between the ages of 13 and 24 were living with HIV/AIDS, and 61% were African American. Yeah. You know, and the thing that that's really, you know, that just talks, that just talks to me about it. You know, um, I mean, I'm get I get emotional about it because I, I I know people who are infected. I know people who have since passed on that were infected. You know, and so I get emotional talking about it. You know, but the thing that's so shocking are, is that these are just the reported numbers. Yeah, yeah, that's the scary part. You know, they're the estimated numbers. You know, Dr. Emily, tell me this. What can we do as a people, you know, as an individual, to help in this fight? We just have to care. The, the same passion that we have when the blatant disrespect of our people is done, this is another insult that has been done to our people. There's, there's really, that has been done to our people. There's really nobody that you can point to and blame, we have to pick up the piece and move on. It's, it's like, like I said, I've been to um, Mexico, I've been to Africa, where the government does not give any assistance. There is no assistance given to people with HIV, period. Matter of fact, the medications that have been studied for this disease has only been studied on a majority of white patients. We have to take the forefront. We have to be the researchers. We have medical schools. The HBCUs have medical schools all throughout the country. Um, the drug companies are willing to um, willing to provide research services. I've had three of them come up to me and sit me down and say, what can we do to get your people to trust us for us to do something? She said, because to be honest with you, you guys have it. That's what she said to me. And it's so sad to hear someone tell you something that you know is the truth and then you're ready to get all serious with her or give her a rebuttal, but she's telling you the God-honest truth. And that's what we have to do. We have to be aggressive. People have to understand. I mean, when we were at a conference uh, right outside in FAMU, they said how many people in here know someone or have a relative that had HIV? Almost everyone, and there was nearly 150-something people out there on a rainy Friday evening almost everyone in there raised their hand that they knew someone. You know, I have two uncles that passed away from it, and I didn't even know, you know, until later on. And this was way 15 years ago. So it's such a secret within our own community that we have to spread it out and have to just look at it as, look, we have it. Don't be ashamed of it. We must change it because it's preventable. You know, it's preventable, and that's the annoying part. If it's preventable, why are we so... We're waiting. Well, our problem is we're waiting. We have our hands open expecting someone to save us. No one's going to save us. We have to save ourselves. Only God can save us. We have to save ourselves. And he's given us two hands, two eyes, and given us a brain. And we have the ability, the HBCUs, the churches. Our people are a peculiar people. We, are the, we, we have the power to do it. I just don't understand the reasoning on such a weak forefront in this fight when it's killing our people, especially for our black women, because they're the life givers. If they're gone, then what are we going to do? We're just going to die. Eventually, all of us will die from something, but we're infecting our people, our men are affecting our women who give birth to our race. 
that's that's we we need to change that culture of 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 not even loving our women enough to understand that we're destroying them and the children to come. You know, I, I, Dr. Ewing, I think that a lot of it starts at at the beginning of the education when you try to teach and tell what you're talking about tonight, when you try to go into a school or a church, you're going to be stopped right up front. They're yeah. going to ask you a question. They're going to, they want to see the material. They want to know what you're saying. Yeah. But yet and still you may have a, a, a gay person playing the piano or leading in the choir, and exactly. it's happening in the church. But they don't want the kids to hear about it because what they're saying is you're promoting sex. You're talking about them using condoms and spreading this disease. Now, we know the best way is absence. I, I yeah. know that's something that, you know, we all would tell the kids, no, you don't need to have sex. But it's some of them out there that's going to do it. Oh, yeah. So how do you get past, you know, that beginning point of, of educating them when they stop you before you can get the material out? That's the, that's, that's the problem. To be honest with you, that's the problem. I work directly in the STD unit where people come in when they they have chlamydia or some of those lower-level STDs where you can get a shot for them and you're cured, but they're just very uncomfortable. Um, I'm right in that arena, and they tell me all the time the hardest people that they can get to help them they they're more than willing to help churches and church members and health ministries come in there asking for can I speak to the cardiovascular so and so can I speak to the person on diabetes but none of them are there for any of the STD stuff any of the things that are actually destroying our community now you can have high blood pressure and all of that and have HIV I have plenty of patients with that so we have to get our people and our and all the areas of power to just realize and to wake up and to understand that it is not going to change until we take a, a, a stronger approach as a people. We cannot care about the religions. We cannot care about the sex. We cannot come, uh, care about the sexuality persuasion of the person anymore. Our people are dying. When the lady was in there, one of the head, the Florida Department HIV AIDS Bureau um, lady was speaking, and she said, you know what's really mind-boggling? And she said, African-Americans take up half of the pie of the whole population. And this was in the country she was speaking of, as far as HIV-AIDS was concerned. We take up the whole half of a pie chart when they were doing the population statistics. I mean, what else on God's green earth are we supposed to do um, or tell these leaders for them to understand that this is something that needs to change? So this is what what we're doing right now is is the beginning. This is how we can do it because they can't close their eyes forever because I promise you I've heard at least seven times within the last four or five months different deacons and elders in the churches that have died from HIV AIDS. They've tried to hide it. They've tried to pretend, and they're dying in the churches. Deacons have it. Pastors. We have pastors that come pick up medications. We have den mothers. We have um, professors from the different universities here. We have all kinds of patients. So it's, the HIV does not say, oh, because you're a so-and-so person, I'm not going to give it to you. It gives it to anyone. And, and the bad part is we're the most docile out of all of the races on trying to eradicate it and trying to put, it, put a stop to it, and it's just spreading. 
you know, Dr. Wang, do you think it, it also comes down to personal responsibility? Oh, definitely. Definitely it does come to personal responsibility. But it, it's, a, it's a culture that um, has to change because, like I've said over and over again, we have a tendency to put our hand out, and I'm the type of person where I've refused. I was raised where I don't, I don't ask nobody for nothing, even to the point where a lot of them get mad. Dr. Wang, why do you always do everything by yourself? Because I don't like asking. I was raised where I need, I need to do for, I need to do it by myself. Go do it on your own. Go find out. Don't just make an assumption or don't think you're going to get the help from someone. I promise you, Africa. When I was in Africa, it was unbelievable. If you don't have any money, I mean, too bad. You just deal with the, the pain. You deal with the itching. You deal with the rashes. You just deal with it, period. There's nothing that can be done. You just deal with it. So imagine a country here, for God's sake, where they're giving you the medications for free because you're a U.S. citizen, and we're still, we're still not doing anything about it. And I, that, that was that the personal responsibility is very annoying to me. We, I actually did what's called a client hearing, and that's when you actually are trying to figure out ways to get the patients to come and pick up their medication. And it, it annoyed me because I said, this is sad that I have to teach case managers and other clinicians how they need to talk to people to talk them into taking their medication. Isn't that unbelievable? Yes, yeah. it is. Yes, it is. Well, you know, Dr. Ingwing, Let's say you were standing before thousands of kids and just young students their first time in college, and they, you know, they were, you know, they're going to be away from their parents. This is their first time away from home. What would you say to them? I mean, you only had about 30 seconds. We have two minutes left in the show. You have about uh, one minute. They gave you one minute to stand before these people and to talk with them. What would your message be? Well, my message would be, really, is that you need to understand that when they look at a, a, a male or a female, and obviously a lot of them out of, a lot of the students at that time, going to have, a lot of them are going to have, some of them are fortunately not in that category, but they do need to understand that a majority of our patients are in high school. Um, not, I'm sorry, not a majority of serious this virus is. They need to know that it happens. Every day someone is catching it. A lot of the most handsome-looking guys that they see walking around the campuses in high school have the disease, and they're my patients, you know. And it's because they were players. It was because they were the most good-looking, and that's how they got it. So I'm very raw with the children more than anyone, the young adults, because they're very active sexually, unfortunately. And they need to know the real deal. They're, if they're going to do things like adults, they need to deal with the situation like an adult and hear it. Dr. M. Wang, if someone wanted to contact you, you know, concerning uh, speaking engagements or anything like that, how would what would be the best way for them to call you or to, to get in touch with you? I just give everyone my cell phone number, and I can give it. Um, it's Eric code 850-264-7509. Um, you can reach me there anytime. Again, it's 850-264-7509. I'm willing to speak uh, just depending on the time and the place. I'm willing to speak anywhere and um, do whatever I possibly can do. You know, like I said, I'm working on that HBCU um, tour actually with a group now to give some entertainment while speaking about these issues. Wonderful, wonderful. 
again, Dr. Anway, we thank you for coming on the show. You know, this is a very important topic that, you know, that we discussed tonight. And, you know, we just we just applaud you for your courage and, you know, your adversity because, again, the toughest thing that I had ever had to do myself was to tell someone that they were positive. Oh, yeah. And so the fact that you do this on a daily basis, day in, day out, is just, you know, it's, it's applaudable. You know, it's sad, but, you know, it's something that's just definitely needed. But, again, we thank you for coming on the Abundant Solutions Hour. And, you know, we hope to have you come back sometime and talk to us again. Oh, definitely. I'll be more than happy. I'm glad that it, the message is spreading. This is the beginning, and we will have an end to this. I definitely know that. Good. Great. Great. Awesome. Awesome. Again, with that being said, you've been listening to the Abundant Solutions Hour, where our goal is to help others be more, do more, and have more. Thank you, Dr. Wayne. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you, listeners. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.